Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, there's an organization that will soon dominate the world. It's called the Babylon Bee. And you know I've had Kyle Mann, the chief editor here in the Babylon Bee, on the program before, but he's back because he has a brand new book we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk a lot about the Babylon Bee, and we're right now, Kyle, in the brand new studios of the Babylon Bee in an undisclosed location somewhere on the West Coast. How do you like these... uh, these, this new studio and what we're doing. It's here. pretty fancy. These golden thrones that we're sitting in, like an old TBN episode or something. It's, uh, it's nice. It it is. Now it's 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 very modest, ladies and gentlemen, but it's very well done. And uh, for those of you that don't know about the Babylon Bee, where have you been? Because the Babylon Bee is for those of you on YouTube, fake news you can trust. And I just love the bee, Kyle. How did this whole thing start? Just so our listeners can know how the Babylon Bee Christian satire site started and how did you get involved? What happened? So there was a mad genius named Adam Ford. Yes. And he was putting out a reformed webcomic, mm-hmm. which is, sounds like a bizarre series of words to mash together. But he did this kind of Christian um, webcomic where he addressed apologetics and, and kind of made arguments through a cartoon essay style thing. It was, it was similar to The Oatmeal, if you ever saw The Oatmeal. Mm-hmm. It was like kind of a, a webcomic that was popular All five, right. ten years ago. And uh, he was doing that and announced on his Facebook page, I'm launching you know, a Christian satire site. And it took off immediately. It was just overnight it became his full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to abandon the webcomics because he didn't have time to do it anymore. <laughs> so I think he only put out like two more comics after that. I saw it uh, on my Facebook feed because I followed his comic and I started writing articles. I sent in, the first article I ever wrote was uh, Holy Spirit Unable to Move Through Congregation as Fog Machine Breaks. That's one of my all-time favorites, believe it or not. <laughs> I tell people that all the time, Kyle. That is one of my all-time favorites. In fact, I was over at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills this yesterday, when we're recording this on a Monday, because uh, we're here in California, I was there to preach, and I was telling Gia, who is the worship leader there, I go, the Babylon Bee, they skew everyone. They even skew the church, and I brought up that one. Holy Spirit, unable to move after fog machine breaks. <laughs> that was your first one? That was my first one. It was like lightning, you know, just struck me, and I just, you know, it like took over like the force or something. I closed my eyes and just banged out the article. But, but you were a volunteer, right? I mean, you... Um, or was that? Did you get hired by the Babylon Bee? It was just an outside submission, unsolicited, okay. unpaid. Right. You know, threw it out right. there, and then I did a few like that, and then pretty quickly Adam hired me as the the head writer of right. the site, and that was just part time. I was still uh, in construction sales. Yeah, what what were you doing in construction sales? <laughs> well, I sold fire hydrants. You did? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So if you want to know about all the different, I can have some interesting facts about fire hydrants. We can talk about that for the next. 48 minutes if you want. And we will lose everybody. And we'll lose all the listeners, uh-huh, but, uh-huh. you know, it's exciting stuff. So, no, I was doing that, and I, I would just write a few articles in the morning, fire it off, mm-hmm. and then Adam would kind of edit and filter and put up the good ones and ignore the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And that was how the Babylon Bee ran for a couple of years until I quit 
and made it my full-time job as editor-in-chief a couple years later. And so what year did you join and become the chief editor here? That was in 2018. All right. So it was four years ago I made that leap, leap of faith to quit a nice paying sales job to be a writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it worked out. It's worked. It's worked <laughs> wonderfully. And the reason, one of the reasons I love the Babylon Bee is because you can make a point through humor that will penetrate and go a lot further uh, around the culture than if somebody just gets up and says something like, for example, the one you just pointed out, well, churches are just too secular and there are too many gimmicks in church. I mean, that's not going to go anywhere, but when you do... <laughs> yeah, seven reasons you should not use a fog machine. Right, and yeah, it's yeah. Like, uh, you know, your eyes glaze over uh-huh. and you die of boredom. So yeah, humor has a way of just punching, punching the point home. Uh, there was a Chesterton quote, um, Seth probably said it on your show, maybe I did, but uh, humor can get in under the door while seriousness is still fumbling at the handle. Mm, mm. And that's that's kind of our mantra here, yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Every day I go to the Babylon Bee because I need comic relief. And uh, here's one. Now, this, is, <laughs> this one just cracked me up, and I think you came up with this one. Literally, it had to be a half hour after I learned that President Biden had fallen off his bicycle last week that this was up here. Now, the president's okay, okay, we're not—if if he had truly been hurt, probably wouldn't have put this out, but— Well, I don't know if he's okay, but he is the same as he was right, before. Right, yeah, yeah, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't hurt, <laughs> but here's, here's the headline you came up with. AIDS worried Biden may have concussion as he starts speaking coherently. <laughs> <laughs> just jogged it right. How, how did this come? How did, how did you come up with this? You were just... So there's... Uh, so we have a, a, a online chat where we're all kind of pitching headline ideas. So there was a few good pitches. Like people were pitching ideas that were... The, the struggle with something like that that's such a current hot breaking news story is uh, on Twitter, everybody's already telling jokes. There's already a bunch of memes right. out there. So as a comedian, you're trying to kind of find the weird off the wall angle and hopefully nobody else has found that exact take on it you know so that's something that's like it's it's fun it's a funny image to see you know he knocked something a screw loose in his head and and now he's fine well (laughs) well sometimes you just look at the headline and that's all you need to see but in this case you actually need to read the story because you're slamming both biden and trump in in this story that's the best kind of stuff yeah here's the here's the here's a paragraph in the story news of biden's tumble quickly spread through the media with the cast of the view responding by all falling off their bikes on live tv to show how normal it is (laughs) former president trump for his part mocked biden by entering a rally at the bmx bike and nailing a perfect 180 tail whip no handlebars, not even hard, said Trump, laughing as he biked around the stage. What a loser. <laughs> so you can just hear Trump yeah. saying that, right? That's an actual quote. You know, yeah, know. that's right. Big braggadocious way of saying things. So you guys are just brilliant, and you skew everybody. You skew the left, you skew the right, you skew the church. Uh, and how, how does this actually, you say you got this group of writers that are these just freelance people they're not employees of babylon bigger how does this work um so we do have some full-time writers we have some full-time headline pitchers Um, a lot of the ideas come from a group that's like uh part-time similar to what i was doing uh back when i was in construction sales i had day job i got paid monthly to throw out some headlines and and throw out some pitches it's similar to that so there's there's a that's probably the core group where most of the headline ideas come from some of the local guys here in the studio also you know if we're sitting around we'll bounce ideas around. right 
that kind of sitting around and bouncing ideas around. We tend to do that more for when we're writing our videos, like our, uh-huh. our video sketches, that kind of stuff. We're throwing lines out and right. jokes. And you know how it is when you're all joking around with friends and oh, you're yeah, all coming yeah. up with, well, what about this? Oh, then what if this happens? And it turns into something. So, so out of every hundred headlines that people submit, how many do you actually take? Oh, uh, probably three or four. That's it? All yeah. Right. Well... Out of ones that are submitted, it's even smaller percentage. Out of that's probably just out of the main writers group, right. yeah. Because I we we have a a paid subscription service yep. that people will support us, and people that do that get to submit headlines also. So there's mm-hmm. like an inbox that you know they get exclusive access to pitch it if they come up with a joke idea they want to see get published on the B. They can throw that at us, and you know, there's hundreds a day, so there's no way we can publish everything. But now you guys have actually been censored by Twitter. Why? We honored Rachel Levine (laughs) with a Man of the Year Award. Man of the Year Award, that's right. And they didn't like that. And that was hateful, according to them. Hateful conduct. So we're suspended. We can log into our account, but we're not allowed to tweet unless we click a button saying, yes, we are hateful bigots, essentially. (laughs) And And we will delete the tweet. So so you're not doing that. So you're no longer on Twitter. Friends, what you need to do if you have a Twitter account is just continue to pump out the Babylon Bee headlines. I do it probably two or three times a week. I see a headline, I put it out. It's amazing the atheists will, in the Twitter feed, Kyle, they'll say, do you know that's a satire yeah, site? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> of course. But it's get the word out uh, on Twitter because uh, the Babylon Bee folks here can't do it anymore because they're hateful for calling Rachel Levine an actual biological male which he is. All right, and we're going to talk about Kyle's book here. Kyle has a brand new book along with uh, a colleague of his. We'll talk about it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network with me, Frank Turk. My guest, Kyle Mann, he is the chief editor of the wonderful BabylonBee.com. Check it out. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. We've got the world's best fake news. Fake news you can trust. With Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, I'm Frank Turek. And this show is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's on the American Family Radio Network. Hey, Kyle, before the break, we were talking about how uh, the Babylon Bee has been basically censored off Twitter for putting out some truth. And a lot of how people follow you, they follow you, of course, on your website, but you put out a lot of great YouTube videos as well, and YouTube has been known to shut people down. What's your backup plan if YouTube says, sorry, can't put your stuff out here anymore? Well, we're going to create a door-to-door delivery service where we just <laughs> deliver videos on VHS tape. Right. <laughs> Max. Right. That's kind of what it's come to, right? Uh-huh. Like, we're going to have to start doing a print edition of the that's Babylon right. Bee and uh-huh. just delivering it to people's doors. Um, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a tough question because there really is nothing that compares to the reach that you can get on these big tech platforms right now. You know, there's people that'll go to alternative platforms, and some people have had a lot of success there, but the reach just isn't there the same right. way that it is on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. So you really do lose a lot. You know, you do sacrifice a lot when you take a stand and end up getting knocked off one of these platforms. Um, we did kind of try to prepare and future-proof ourselves a little bit by creating our subscription service on our website because that has, you know, Facebook has really turned down the, the traffic throttle to our website. We're, we've been completely kicked off of Twitter. If we were to lose YouTube, that's another, you know, close to a million subscribers that we would mm-hmm. lose access to. Mm-hmm. 
So we did start, um, uh, you know, letting people pay to support us and they get a little bonus content and all that. But most people support not for bonus content or anything, but just because they, they like what we're doing and they want to support comedy and they want independent comedy to thrive. And that's, that's a great thing. We've been really blown away and blessed by how many people have subscribed and, and, uh, and helped us out in that way. So that's become, that's become a really uh, important uh, way to support us and how we've been able to like build out the studio and, and bring some of these people on board. So if it turns out that they do kick you off their platform, subscribers can still access, you can still put that stuff up on a website, the videos, so they can yeah. continue to see well, it. Well, all of our content is already on BabylonBee.com. Yeah. It's just the way that people consume content now right. is by going to Facebook and Twitter. And right, right. You, know, you hope the algorithm shows you what you want. It's always better to go directly to the source. Yeah. So, it, yeah. you know, if somebody follows you, right. cross-examined, don't go on Facebook and wait for a cross-examined right. video to pop mm -hmm. up. Go directly to crossexamine.org and check it out. <laughs> you know, well, that's... friends, I'm a subscriber to BabylonB.com. I think you should be too. So uh, the this is, I, I can't say this enough. This is very, you say, well, it's comedy. It's very important, ladies and gentlemen. It's very important to be able to have the freedom to put out material like this. And if the Babylon B folks here lose that freedom, they still have to have a place to put this material out. Because as I say, you can make a point so much more powerfully through comedy than you can actually do in a serious way. People who would never uh, read uh, a book or even watch a video that's serious will look at an article or will look at a video that actually is fun. And even even if they're even if they don't agree with it, they'll they'll well, watch we all, it. But we all experience that already. Like yeah. I'll watch something from The Onion or Saturday yeah, Night yeah, Live, yeah. and if it's funny, if it's just funny, right? Even if I disagree with it, you'll laugh at it. Yeah. And maybe if it's about me, if if I'm the target, my you know Christians or or whatever, uh -huh. you know, maybe it inspires change in you, or maybe it makes you examine things that uh, that are going on in your life. Now, you and uh, Joel Berry, who is also here at the Babylon Bee, have come out with a new book called The Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. Those on YouTube can see the lovely edition of the book right here. I endorse the book. It's a, it's a fun book. It's a different book. Tell people what the book's really about. So it is a kind of sci-fi fantasy allegory. And those three words have never been mashed together in the English language before. <laughs> <laughs> we took the framework of John Bunyan's original Pilgrim's Progress, where you have a, a character uh, named Christian who is walking down this narrow road, and he's trying to get to the celestial city. And Bunyan, his stroke of genius in what is probably the first ever novel in the English language in 1678, he has this character encounter different people who represent things that we encounter in the Christian life. You know, so he encounters like someone who doesn't believe in God, you know, Mr. Atheist, or I forget what he's called in the in the original. Um, you know, he encounters the, the worldly wise man who's right. telling him, no, no, you don't need to go down the narrow road. There's a much better way over here. So it's all very obvious and on the nose, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, I get what's going on here. But I was it was always struck me how much humor there was in that original book. Because, you know, he's like walking and there's a guy who's like, I'm Mr. Idiot, follow me, you know, and, and Christian follows, you know, because he's yeah. like a moron and he just like keeps keeps wandering off the path. They're like, what are you doing, you know? So uh, I, I really kind of tried to draw out that, me and Joel tried to draw out that humor element in this book. So we kind of updated it with modern characters. There's, uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the characters and stuff, but, yeah. uh, you know, things that we encounter in modern Christianity. Yeah, let's talk about some of the characters in this book. First of all, Ryan. Ryan's kind of the central character. Yeah, protagonist. He's, right. he's an agnostic. Yeah. And uh, what? what's his main role in the book? What does he do? 
Well, there was a struggle in writing the book because you, you know, I wanted the it's the postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. I wanted the main guy to be this postmodernist, you know, who was like avidly against uh, Christianity in a lot of ways. But as we wrote it, it became clear that we needed the main character to be more of a foil. He's he's a common sense guy, um, but he does have this nihilistic streak within him where he's he's suffered a death in his family, so he he has this kind of tragic backstory where he's angry at God and bitter at God and doesn't, you know, doesn't think that a good God can possibly exist. Maybe God's out there somewhere, but if he is, he's evil. And so as he goes through the story, we kind of see, we kind of see the goofy characters through his eyes. And he, he, he sees what it means to, to understand uh, what suffering is actually like in the world. So this is an allegory. So yep. sometimes you'll, you can make the connection to a real world character. And sometimes you got to think about it a little bit. So you've got characters like Faith, Christian, how about the devil? Who does that represent? <laughs> That's a good question, Frank. <laughs> These are all characters in the brand new book, The Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, we like the devil character. We like uh-huh. the Satan that we wrote. He's very chill. Uh huh. He's just a normal guy, and he's just like, hey, what's up, man? You know, you do you. You're doing great. You do you. <laughs> That's how the line you do you. To you. <laughs> hey, you know what we ought to do? Because... A lot of times people don't even define what it, what is postmodernism. Like if you had to define it, what would you yeah. say it is? Well, yeah, there's a progression, right? So there was the pre-moderns mm-hmm. and they kind of, um, it, it's a bit of a moving target, but the pre-moderns kind of felt that it was, it was good to pass down values through tradition and we should preserve and protect the traditions passed down to us. And then the moderns came along and said, epistemologically, truth comes uh, through reason and science and thought and rationality. And that's kind of where the church is. Like the church, I think the church could do with returning to the pre-moderns in a lot of ways, because a lot of times we agree with uh, the modern like Age of Enlightenment and, the, and and we find existentialism kind of creeping into our theology because of, you know, obviously modernism has brought some good things. Sure, yeah. Um, but then you have postmodernism. So you had you had the pre-moderns, truth comes through tradition. You had the moderns who said truth comes through reason. And the, pre, and the postmoderns says there is no truth. We can't mm. discover truth. And that's and that's kind of that's kind of uh, what the bent of this book is. There's there's there, it's kind of this multiverse story, where there's like this different realities, and when you dream, you go to this other place, and a lot of that kind of fiction nowadays, like Doctor Strange two and Everything Everywhere All at Once, and all these movies that are coming out, Rick and Morty, like they're all this multiverse traveling sci-fi Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy humor type stuff. But it's but the point of all of it is like so there's there's multiverse, there's everything out there, and therefore nothing matters. Right. And so you have to make your own meaning. Like that's mm-hmm. the so we wanted to take that framework and say no, there is absolute truth and there is meaning. Mm-hmm. There is an external objective meaning to your life, and your job is to find out what that is, not to create that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a response to that. So kind of thing. postmodernism has creeped in everywhere. That's why you're having people saying that whatever sex they say they are, they are. Uh, whatever right. identity they are, they are. Uh, and they claim that there's no overarching truth. There's no meta story. Do they? Do you think they claim that is true? That there's no truth, or what? <laughs> what what's the deal with that? I mean, there are no absolutes. It's the Sith, you know. That's like, right. Which is an absolute, of course. <laughs> so the whole thing is self-defeating. But I love that some of the names of the characters in the book. Gee, I wonder who the smiling preacher is in the yeah, book. No, no. Any relation to <laughs> the characters, <laughs> real yes. or imagined, real or entirely imagined. fictional. Okay, the smiling preacher. How about health and wealth? 
Yeah. Uh, so that so <laughs> health and wealth was pretty close to a specific person, and we actually made some changes to make it a little. Broader. Oh, you did? Yeah, we made it a little broader because we did want it to. We didn't want it to come off as personal vendetta against somebody, and rather instead we wanted it to be. Okay. This represents the entire kind of movement of you can speak health and wealth into existence, you know, rather than God will allow some suffering in your life for your sanctification. Mm-hmm. How about Mr. Legalist? Who could that be? Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one? Okay. It's, a, it's a legalist, yeah. It's a total legalist. Yeah. What, what are some of, <laughs> Can you remember what are some of the things that Mr. Legalist says to the protagonist, Ryan, who is the agnostic who is going through this journey? What, is, what would be some of the things Mr. Legalist might say to him? Yeah, le- uh, which one was Legalist? Was he was he in the city that... Um, I, I don't remember... No, man, it's your had, book. Come on. Well, I know. We had a... <laughs> I'm failing the quiz on my own book. <laughs> That's right. You, you, you know how these things are. You write them and you oh send yeah. them off, and then oh you're yeah. like, wait, what? I wrote, what? What did I say? Well, you guys just did a thing on the Babylon Bee podcast, which you ought to listen to, that uh, I think somebody was reading page numbers. What page number is this yeah, on? and you're like, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> how do I even no, know? We had a couple of legalists. There was like a legalist group, and then there was a legalist uh-huh. character, and they were telling Ryan, like, no, to walk on the path, you have to hop on one foot. You know, that's... Oh, all right. Okay. That's, uh, yeah. All right. Well, you, you can comment on any of these. Mr. Political Engagement is a character yeah. in the postmodern Pilgrim's Progress Yeah, which book. is an interesting question, because that's still kind of a question among Christians. Like, yeah. what is what does it mean to be political? But we have this bubble city called Evangelion that's yeah kind of represents the Christian bubble, and, it want, and they're trying to figure out how to engage with the outside world. But none of them are actually going out and walking on the road to get to the Golden City. Like, they're all just sitting there debating and arguing all about right. theology and training we're going to train up for the quest and then they never leave and they all die there you know um uh-huh. because they never actually go out and engage the world so we have to, these political engagement characters that say no we have to petition for better laws in this land not go and seek the better city <laughs> it, it 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 covers so much you've got so many f- fun characters in here in fact you have i i put it <laughs> i put this in my endorsement of the book this one of my favorite lines is actually a proverb that you have in the book let me see if i can find it here because it I just cracked up when I... Oh, here's one of the Proverbs from the book, written by Kyle Mann and Joel Berry. It's the uh, Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. A proverb from the book says this, Do not argue with those who think they are tolerant. They will probably beat your brains out with a shovel. (laughs) It's kind of poetic, really, when you read it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that comes from the book within the book. They discover a book, you know, which represents the Bible Uh or whatever, and they... uh, they discovered that early on, and it has it's kind of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It has these pithy sayings right when they need it, and they open it up. Oh, I'm supposed to do this, you know, and then they're constantly forgetting, losing it or forgetting to go back and actually read the book. And all. Well, check it out. The Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress by Kyle Mann and Joel Berry. We'll talk a lot more with Kyle right after the break. Also want to mention, we're going back to Israel this September. We've been shut out for three years, but we're going back. If you want to be a part of this fun, intimate trip, with Ellie Shukran, a real archaeologist who discovered the Pool of Siloam. You want to check our website out, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see it there. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. My guest, Kyle Mann of the wonderful BabylonBee.com. If you don't know about the Babylon Bee, where have you been? You need to check out thebabylonbee.com, and if you can, be a subscriber. It'll help them get the word out, uh, and it's very important, I think, to to put out such great 
satire material. In fact, I think you probably struggle, Kyle, to come up with some of these satirical headlines because the world is so absurd. A lot of people look at these headlines. Some of them even think they're true, don't they? <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. All the grandmas on Facebook. All the grandmas on Facebook. Yeah, it's it's I remember you had one headline that had something to do with, uh, I think it was the CEO of Planned Parenthood playing, uh, praying to Molech. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's just true. I don't know. It, it probably is. But everyone <laughs> thought, this is real. She's really doing it. Yeah, I had a guy come up to me at a convention this weekend that we were at and shook my hand and said, I was reading the Babylon Bee for like six months before I realized it was satire, which is really con <laughs> a little concerning. But Yeah, well, it's the world's so crazy, you think it's really true. In fact, I saw a headline, it wasn't on the Babylon Bee, I saw it the other day that a convicted murderer, oh, terrorist actually, a convicted terrorist is getting gender reassignment surgery on taxpayer expense. Now, you would think that would be like a Babylon B headline, but that's really going on. Well, that right. would be like a headline that someone would pitch to me and say, oh, we should do a joke about it. And I would say, no, that's too far-fetched. Yeah. That, that's, that's too absurd. Nobody will is. laugh at that. It's happening. <laughs> All right, back to the Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress, the new book by Kyle Mann and Joel Berry of thebabylonb.com. What was the inspiration to write this book, Kyle? So I had... Uh, I had I'm a huge fan of the original Pilgrim's oh. Progress. It's my second favorite book behind uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh -huh. Well, and the Bible is of kind course of, the Bible. You need kind to of say slot that. zero. That's yeah, like yeah, you know, right. the default, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> but I'm a huge fan of the original Pilgrim's Progress, and I saw this. There's a large element of humor in there. You know, I've always um, I've always loved humorous books, humorous fiction, and it's really hard to do well because if you do it wrong, it it. it I don't know. You can write nonfiction or you can write drama, and if it's bad, it's just mediocre and ho-hum. But if you write comedy bad, it's very bad. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so, um, I've, but I've always enjoyed Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, I don't know if you ever read that one, but it, it, you know, that was in the 1960s. Douglas Adams wrote that. And there's like this satirical angle to everything where they have this kind of narrator character who's constantly commenting on things and interjecting himself and making little quips and it just makes it so it makes it fly by it's such a great book and terry pratchett wrote um the disc world series always had all this humorous elements have you ever read the original princess bride book oh yeah it's like a book within a book there's right. a whole meta thing right. and the, the whole Love joke the princess is bride. the yeah. whole joke is the story of the princess bride that he's retelling is a terrible book uh-huh and then that's they don't really capture that that much in the movie but in the book it's like he's trying to retell this book from his childhood and it becomes clear it's a really badly written book you know and there's a great great humor in there so i kind of wanted to mash all that together the babylon b sense of humor does john bunyan so you know we call it hitchhiker's guide meets meets john bunyan and how did you and joel put it together how, how did you go through the process of writing this yeah so i had a manuscript i wrote like in 2017 uh so years ago and i wrote i don't know half the book a quarter of the book and then i stuck it in a drawer i'm sure you've had this experience oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you hit the point you're like ah, i don't have time or right. it's not working out so, but it was very serious. It was like, you know, we wrote a lot of the original encounters, the city of destruction, the, um, or I, I wrote those and then, um, the smiling preacher and all that. And I got, and I kind of ended about there and it was just dry. It was kind of boring. Um, so Joel came along and I, and I said, Hey, you want to take a look at this old manuscript with me? So he suggested doing the humorous angle to everything. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Why didn't I think of that? You idiot, you mm -hmm. know? <laughs> and so we came up with the narrator character that, um, so the, the whole book is told through the lens of this angel who's like uh, this angelic being whose job it is to collect stories from across all realities that God has created that bring glory to God. 
and he's this funny guy who like doesn't quite understand humans so he's always like saying like they you know the humans are eating cheese why do you guys love cheese so much you know and he's and he goes on a rant a paragraph long rant about cheese and then he goes back to the story so there's people are loving it there's these footnotes in there where he's kind of, he's making reference he's trying to do pop culture references but he doesn't understand pop culture references very well so <laughs> so we added in all those humorous elements and now there's kind of a distinct Babylon B style voice to this thing well, you got so many interesting side characters in the postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. We mentioned a few of them already. Who are your favorites in the book? Well, so one of my favorite encounters to write was the Chesterton's Fence chapter, which is, I think, chapter seven or eight. Um, Before you go there, go ahead. I actually have that highlighted. Okay. Just the intro. I'm just going to read the intro, right. which is Chesterton saying this. Yeah. And then you can take off from there. Perfect. This is what Chesterton said. There exists, in such a case, a certain institution or law, let us say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or a gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see any use for this. Let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then... When you can come back and tell me that you do not see use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. Yes. Yeah, so that sets the stage for our Chesterton's Fence chapter. And for a long time, I, we actually wrote this in a Babel, at a Babylon Bee article. Mm-hmm. We said something like, um, progressive protesters tear down dumb, useless fence in the middle of a field. <laughs> this is like a Babylon Bee article. Mm-hmm. That we wrote, and we had these guys like protesting. And then you can see behind the fence, there's like a bull that's getting ready to charge them. You know, uh-huh, it's like uh-huh. stupid, pointless fence down with the bigoted fence. And right, right. But Chesterton's uh, Chesterton Chesterton's fence is such a great point for today. Mm-hmm. It feels like it was written yesterday. You know, the way that people are trying to tear down institutions that have protected our society for centuries. And, you know, they say, oh, this is useless. Why do we have, you know, why do we have police? Why do we have... Right, right, right. And you're, and you're like, well, hang on a second. Yeah. Go back and study why we have these things. And if you can do that and come back and tell me why they're there, then we can talk about, you know, dismantling them. Mm-hmm. But before you know, uh, before you know why they're actually there, don't try to dismantle them. So we have an encounter where the characters are going along the road, and they see these protesters that are shouting at this fence. You know, this is an evil fence that is that is uh, uh, blocking us from true freedom out there. And you know, they tear it down, and of course, they get murdered mm. by a bull. Murdered by a bull. Yeah, that fence is important before. In fact, somebody put it this way, before you tear down a fence, and it was probably from Chesterton, before you tear down a fence, pause long enough to try and discover why the fence was there to begin with. I mean, we could say the same thing about marriage. The reason that marriage has always, be, be, has always been between a man and a woman is not some bigotry against same-sex couples. The reason it had always been between a man and a woman is because a man and a woman coming together in a legal relationship recognized by the government is the best way to perpetuate and stabilize society. That's the reason why the government's involved in marriage. Not to recognize that John loves Mary or Bill loves Steve— the reason is, is because it's literally the foundation of civilization, the biological two-parent family. Uh, Jordan Peterson was talking about, um, I think I think this was in 12 Rules for Life, but he talks about how we tear down the walls that our ancestors put up and the horrors that are outside. You know, we do that at our, at our own peril because yeah. the horrors outside of them, we don't know why they built these things, but they're there. And that's that, again, goes to the modernism versus the, the pre-moderns mm-hmm. and the postmoderns. You have to respect... Like uh, Chesterton calls it the democracy of the dead, 
That's what mm. tradition is. It's mm. like there's people that have created these things in the past for a reason. Right. <laughs> and we right. have to wonder what that reason was. Yeah, it isn't interesting that the, the woke mob wants to tear everything down. They don't want to keep anything standing. They think everything needs to go. Yeah, it's dismantling for the sake of dismantling. And that, Chesterton wrote about that, too. He talks about how um, when you rebel against something, you're actually standing for something. And they don't right. think about that. They tear it down for whatever reason, you know, just dismantle for the sake of dismantling. Huh. I don't know how much time we have for the end of the segment, we'll but there's a, uh, he has a, a thing about a lamppost. And I think I, uh, we do a little cameo appearance of the lamppost in the, in the book. But um, he talks about how people stand around this lamppost and chanting, you know, tear down the lamppost. And uh, he's talks about how all the people that are dismantling it have different reasons for doing so. Like one guy wants to tear it down because he hates light. One guy wants to tear it down because he wants to put something better up. And one guy wants to tear it down for this reason or that reason. And then like one guy wants to destroy it because he likes destroying things. And I'm like, well, that sounds like hmm. 2020 or yeah, 2022 right. or whatever. Right. And then he says that at the end of it, they've tear, torn down the lamp. And now they realize they're in the dark. And they say they go back to the wisdom of the old priest who said, we need light because light is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, great. that reminds me of a line from Philip Johnson, who was the... Berkeley attorney who really took on Darwinism, and he said this in his book, Reason in the Balance, he said, he who is a skeptic in one set of beliefs is a true believer in another set of beliefs, right? If you're going to say that X is bad, then you're implying that something else is good. Well, what are you putting up there that's good? If you're going to tear down a fence, you got to figure out why that fence is there to begin with, and then you've got to figure out what are you trying to build as a result of it. It's kind of like deconstructionism, you know? you got all these young people who are saying, oh, they're deconstructing their faith, well, they don't realize it, but they're reconstructing another faith. Yeah. What is that they're other just moving faith? moving their faith to yeah. something else. Yeah, yeah that's, that reminds me of Lewis in Abolition of Man, where he mm-hmm. talks about how you can't just go on seeing through things forever. Mm-hmm. The point of seeing through something is to see something through it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just keep deconstructing everything, because you're going to end up being blind. And the postmodern pilgrim's progress has ways of communicating these kinds of insights, ladies and gentlemen, in a fun way. It is really a novel, yeah. wouldn't you say? It's a, it's yeah, a, it's a novel. It's, yeah. a, it, it's, a, it's a classic hero's journey story. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot of inspiration from C.S. Lewis and those kind of short books you can sit down and read in a few hours and get a, get a good story out of and also you know, teach a lesson. A lot of influence from Narnia, influence from screw tape letters in yep. the way that it comments on the Christian life. But, yeah, it's a, just a classic story. I know you're going to get a lot of questions on this whenever you do an interview. Do you have to know the original story from Paul from 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 uh, the Pilgrim's Progress to understand the new version, your version? No, and it's not a direct parody or direct retelling. It definitely goes in, in its own direction. Okay, but if you've read the original, you'll be able to refer. You, you'll you'll be able to recognize the references and the callbacks. It starts kind of similar when uh-huh. Ryan goes on his journey, the city of destruction, yeah, and going out the narrow gate and going on the road. But from there, it kind of takes a hard left turn into our version of of. Okay, and, and C.S. Lewis did the same thing in Pil- uh, the Pilgrim's Regress, which he wrote back I don't know, thirties or forties he wrote that one how about the funniest part of the whole book what do you think it is <laughs> i i really like the you mentioned earlier but the smiling preacher segment because the book does get more serious as it goes on there's uh-huh. an actual drama and you know and, and moments of death and loss and despair right. uh, but the smiling preacher we have ryan drowning in the swamp of despair and depression uh-huh. and uh the smiling preacher comes up and ryan says save me and you're right here save me and, and the smiling preacher tells him no you need to believe in yourself and save yourself and pull yourself think positive thoughts you know and ryan says something like no i'm dying i'm drowning he's like no don't say those negative things you're speaking them into reality be positive and then he he goes off and leaves ryan to drown 
and then you'll have to see what happens next. Ah, <laughs> check it out, ladies and gentlemen. The Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress by Kyle Mann and Joel Barrett. You know, it's really doing pretty well on Amazon right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we've been really impressed. So it's a, it's a good book. A lot of people have endorsed it, including myself and others. So check it out, friends. Wherever you get books, check out The Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. We got a lot more with Kyle Mann right after the break. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network. Also check out BabylonB.com. BabylonB.com. See you in two minutes. You're back listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk. My guest, Kyle Mann, the chief editor at the wonderfully funny and effective BabylonBee.com. Check him out there. We're talking about his brand new book, The Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, Kyle, in the book, you've got all these fictional obstacles that the main characters have to get through. What do you think are the biggest non-fictional obstacles that believers have to face today? Yeah, so our characters encounter everybody from like an atheist guy who's like in a cave writing, there is no sun mm-hmm. on the walls, you know, which is obviously we stole that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all kinds of people that are trying to pull them this way and that way, whether that's political figures or religious figures that want them to do different things. We talked about the legalism. But honestly, the main challenge that we put our characters through was this need to constantly have what Nietzsche called the long obedience in the same direction, you know, and he was obviously writing from this kind of nihilist or existentialist, go find meaning and then walk towards Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. But for us, we know we redeem that to mean the long obedience in the same direction of what your external purpose is that God has called you to, you know, there is a purpose for your life. Um, We in the church, I think, have made too much of the big celebrity pastors, the people who do these, uh, you know, big acts for Jesus. And like, we want, I don't mind, we have a, we have a character early on in the book called Radical and Mm -hmm. he's like a, you know, let's go off and we're going to be missionaries and we're going to, you know, change the world. And as soon as he hits the swamp of depression, he's like, oh, forget this. I didn't sign up for this. And he takes off. Uh, he's, he was inspired by Pliable in, uh, in the original Pilgrim's Progress. But for us, we, we kind of updated, like, my generation had this bent of, like, we're all going to go out and be missionaries. And, like, 99% of us didn't. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. So we, my, we sang Kumbaya in yeah. youth camp, and we were going to go save the world, right. and then, then we got back and to So maybe that, maybe that's the same in every generation. I don't right. know. You're, you're obviously much older than I am. How much? Uh, much, much, much. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so for my generation, we had to cope and grapple with this idea that maybe sometimes God wants us to be this ordinary, ordinarily faithful Christian, you know? I used to, I mean, on a personal note, like, I used to be a pastor. I used to be a co-pastor of a church in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in ministry anymore. Like, I'm just a regular guy in the pews <laughs> at church. And that can be a hard transition to go, I was preaching the word, I was converting people, I was baptizing people. And now, you know, is it is it a, is God pleased with me when I get my family up for church in, on Sunday and I, and I manage to drag <laughs> the kids and get them dressed and get them to church on Sunday? Is that my discipleship and my obedience? And is God pleased with that, you know? Um, and so I think that, slow plodding one step after another, one foot in front of the other is kind of the message of this book. Um, and I think that is the struggle that, that we face as Christians. It's 
long faithfulness over 70 years, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I have so much respect for the pastors who are like pastoring a church of 50 people in the right. middle of nowhere. Right. And, um, and, and, and they're just faithful. You know, I have, I have a lot more respect for those guys than the celebrity pastors mm-hmm. who have the church of thousands and then they fizzle out in a scandal or something right. and, and they're right. gone, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, whatever. So I, I don't know, maybe that's just my personal experience, but what I see is like, we are faced with so many heresies and so many, um, so many different influences that want to pull us off the path this way and that way. And the people that can remain faithful to the end, that's the constant call of Paul um, that, he, that he calls us to in the epistles. You know, it's like, just be faithful, be, you know, have endurance, endure to the end, you know, and that's the call that we kind of put to people in the book. Years ago at Summit Ministries, where I teach every summer, a lot of apologists do, uh, David Noble, who was heading the place up, did a survey and he, the survey was uh, of these kids, high school kids, early college kids. He listed a whole bunch of vocations, and he said, I want you to tell me whether you think this vocation is secular or sacred. And only two out of 400 kids got the answer right, that 100% of the questions right, because every single vocation he put on that survey was sacred. Mm. We think that only people who are in full-time ministry are dealing in a sacred ministry, whereas everybody, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, as long as it's a moral profession, you're involved in doing the Lord's work wherever you are, and we have to keep that in mind. It's not just the people up on the stage at church or the missionaries out on the mission field who are doing the Lord's work. It's everybody, every one of us, and it takes a complete body. What are some of the temptations, Kyle, that uh, Ryan, the protagonist here in the postmodern Pilgrim's Progress, faces as he goes through this journey? Yeah, so the great conflict that he's presented with in the first act, and that kind of becomes the great struggle throughout, is that Satan is tempting him to leave this world to die and go back, you know, just leave. He finds a way to leave the world. Go back to your own world. You don't have to fight. You don't have to walk this hard road. You can just go back. Um, and his whole life, he's kind of had this this um, uh, despair that's come upon him because of the death of his brother early on in the book. And he wants to give up. He wants to despair. He wants to not care about life and just succumb to nihilism. He, he wants, actually wants to kill himself at the beginning of the book. Um, and so that's kind of, we, we visualize that and we, we make that real and through the allegory that he's actually walking and he just wants to stop walking. I, I don't want to go any further. Um, so that's kind of the constant challenge that he has to overcome internally is uh, the desire to just give up. And yeah, I, what's I, the point? Yeah. And that's kind of, that resonates, I think, with my generation a lot. There's so much of the nihilism you see out there oh. these days in Gen Z and, um, you know, nothing matters. Everything is everything is pointless. And so that's kind of the challenge that he has. It, it totally resonates with at least the first half of Ecclesiastes. Life's meaningless, utter, utterly meaningless. Why am I doing this? In fact, I some of the scriptures I used yesterday at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, it's life's meaningless. Why are we even doing this if there, if there is no God, right? Nothing matters unless there is a God. In fact, you have a character, I'm, re- I'm reading a, a quote from it, he, this guy appears to be a very adamant atheist in the postmodern pilgrim's progress. I'm trying to see what name you give this guy, but here's what here's, here's what this atheist is saying. I can see that in the end, nothing really matters. Nothing matters. Nothing matters! And then the character Faith says, you're pretty passionate about this belief of yours that nothing matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we even gave him the line, the God, uh, God doesn't exist, or the king doesn't exist, and I hate him. <laughs> That's it. You got it. You got it. It's in here. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you say this. Uh, so you're a follower of the king then, asked Ryan. Ha! The man stood up, knocking over his ink pot. How dare you? I wouldn't follow the king if he appeared right in front of me this very instant. He doesn't even exist. Faith and Ryan exchanged a glance. Ah, then why do you spend so much time thinking about him? She asked. Because I hate him, the man cried, turning red in his face. <laughs> He's a deceiver and a liar. Yeah, and that's and that is what we're up against, you know. That atheists do have that, but you know, we we tried to make him a sympathetic character too, though. If you, as you read that story, you know, yeah. by the end he's clawing his eyes out to not see the the golden city that's right there that he can behold. You know, he's kind of clawing his eyes out and and uh, and hiding in his cave from the light, and then uh, and then Faith and Ryan end up in this valley of doubt where they're kind of caged by their own doubts, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of think back and say. Maybe he was right, you know. <laughs> they think back, and they're they're starting to succumb to doubt. even though they're seeing it in front of their eyes as well. Yeah, huh? yeah. So there's there's we tried to kind of make him give fair arguments, even though we obviously mm-hmm. made him goofy. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in this book, the postmodern Pilgrim's Progress, that these characters just they're the characters in our society today friends that's why it make that's what makes it so relevant let me just ask you a couple more we just got a few minutes left pick any one of these you want to talk about here are some other people in the book mr neckbeard redbeard mr loved by the world the hollow ones good times pick any of those you want to talk about sure absolutely yeah so um mr loved by the world comes up to the characters as they're kind of going up this mountain and it's the toughest part of their journey they have to get up to this peak and um, there's the hollow ones are kind of this zombie plague people that are going around and they're just going about their lives and have no meaning or purpose in their life. And so they're kind of standing by the road shouting at them to go back, you know, go back. This is uh, this is the wrong way or whatever. And Mr. Love by the World comes up and he tries to reason with the hollow ones. And he wants he wants the hollow ones to love him so much. He's you know, he's, he's going to them. And so it's kind of it kind of represents these uh, these people that um Maybe, maybe too much want to show the world that we as Christians are cool, or we're, uh, you know, we're 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 reasonable, and like they want they want to appear good in front of the world. Obviously, they want to be loved by the world. So we made it very on the nose with the name Mister Love by the World. But he reason he tries to reason with them, and eventually they he, he succumbs to their argument. He succumbs mm-hmm. to the argument of the Hollow Ones, and ends up turning around and say, "I want to be loved by them so much that I'm going to do the same thing they're doing." All right. So obviously there's a there's a line there where we can tilt one too far when we're mm-hmm. trying to evangelize or contextualize the gospel. Exactly. What's your hope for the book, Kyle? What 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 do you hope comes from it? Well, we dedicated the book. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but on the dedication page, we dedicate it to the people who are just struggling along one step at a time. All right. And that is our hope that Christians who pick this up will be inspired to continue to endure ordinary faith, ordinary faithfulness, day in and day out, rather than the you know giant radical acts of service that we feel like sometimes we need to do with all that pressure. So yeah, we're really hoping that there's you know small small town small church pastors out there who are struggling ordinary christians not in the ministry who are struggling and don't feel like their little faithfulness at these sacred jobs or secular jobs or mm-hmm. they're all sacred call. they're all sacred and uh we want the we want the christian writers and the christian gas station pump attendants to uh, <laughs> to be equally inspired by that where do you want them to get the book and where can they learn more about your work well, it's available at, um, at on Amazon and any online bookstore, uh, in person, Barnes & Noble, and all of those places. And you can follow us at BabylonB.com, and we've got some more exciting stuff coming soon. So 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, they've got a book. You got one coming in September on democracy. What's it called? Yeah, the Babylon Bee Guide to Democracy. So the guide to wokeness is behind you there, and we finally have a Beautiful. sequel coming out. It's going to be great. Kyle, be great having you on the show, man. Thanks for Thank coming on. Thank you so on. much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is the Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress by Kyle Mann, who is the chief editor here at the Babylon Bee, and his colleague Joel Berry. You got to pick it up. It's a lot of fun. And it's a good way to uh, deal with some of the issues in, in a fun and in a fantasy way, actually, some of the issues that we're all dealing with today. So check it out, friends. Great book. And I also want to mention I'm going to be at Bethany Church in Wyckoff, New Jersey this Sunday. That's January. Sorry, January. Where am I? June 26th. Also, uh, we'll be with Charlie Kirk out in Phoenix on July 5th. All that will be on our website crossexamine.org. Just click on events there. And don't forget to go to thebabylonb.com. You won't be disappointed, friends. Babylonb.com. See you here next week. God bless.